Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. Personal development coach Tony Robbins says that the two human needs that bring us the most joy are contribution and growth. If you'd like to grow in your purpose with us and have something you could contribute to people of purpose, I am welcoming volunteers. If you have a skill, an idea, or a resource to bring to the project, please, please let me know. Send me an email at peopleofpurposepodcast at gmail.com or a direct message through our Facebook or Instagram pages at People of Purpose Podcast, and we'll get in touch. As I continually move into a greater pursuit of my purpose, teaching underserved students in San Francisco and pursuing a master's degree in education, I can use all the help I can get. If you're good with social media, audio editing, outreach communications, videography, or more, please tell me. And if you know and would like to suggest a person of purpose, please do. Finally, as we grow, I'm looking for your ideas for upcoming products and services that we could incorporate alongside the podcast to help people experience a greater sense of purpose. Please don't be shy. Let me know. Hey guys, this is your People of Purpose podcast host, Tanner Badgley. Do you want to get a short email from me? Would you find value in receiving a very short email every other weekend that personalizes your path of purpose? The POP newsletter, because people of purpose, is a very short email where I share with you the most interesting things I've recently discovered, have been thinking about, or implementing into my life each week to more personally and purposefully pursue my purpose. It will include a short update on how my podcast is helping me grow into my purpose. A quote that's been on my mind from a purposeful resource such as a podcast, book, video, or mentor. As well as a nugget of advice from my experience on how to better align and optimize your life for your purpose. And finally, I'll try to share inspiration with you on how one of our listeners is benefiting from people of purpose. So please take a small step of action right now by sending a quick email to peopleofpurposepodcast at gmail.com. You don't even need to write a message, just include in the subject header, People of Purpose Newsletter, and you'll receive the very next one. I think since a young age, I was really spontaneously attracted by nature always. So at some point in my life, there was going to be a moment where I choose to work with nature. When we come back home, it feels so happy. <laughs> come back to the garden every night time, we non-stop look around. We just live for two weeks and we come back. So I feel like, oh, really, our place is uh, changing so much. This is growing, that is growing, and some places need time. If we decide to teach them about permaculture, or tomorrow we need to start knowing them today. Go on an island, people. <laughs> so who are you and why is this experience so special to you? 
Uh, I'm Lucas, I'm come from France, I'm 33 years old and I'm very interested by this place and it's very special for me because I want to have a project like this when I come back to France and for me it's very interesting to meet people with the knowledge and uh, it's very special because a lot of volunteers are here, have experience also so I can learn a lot of things and maybe it's the beginning of a new life for me so yeah, I really enjoy this place, the good vibes of everybody, good vibes of the nature and uh, yeah, I, I really like this place, love, love this place. Hello, my name is Paul and I'm a traveler from France, actually traveling around Southeast Asia for a few months, actually in Cambodia. I spent a few days in organic farm. For me, my stay was like uh, special over there. First of all, because like of the all of the people living there, people living all year round, it ended up being like a very special place because in all Southeast Asia, permaculture places like that are kind of rare. So um, yeah, you end up learning quite a lot, even if you end up staying a few days from either learning from people that are volunteering there, living there, and yeah, making activities that you would never have done before. So yeah, only know if even if it was a short time for me, it was a great experience. And for sure, if I'm passing by Cambodia again, I will just come and visit them again. Hopefully, for like a, a longer period of time. I first met Olivier and Darren in October 2015, as I was moving to Thailand to become a teacher. I had heard about an organization that matches volunteers to projects called Woof while I was hiking in Hawaii after my college graduation. A year and a half later, I found myself moving to Southeast Asia and looking for a farming project to volunteer with before I got settled into Thailand. I sent out several emails, and the one that got back to me was from this lovely farm here in the village of Svaichek in Northwest Cambodia. I took my first ever shared taxi, and after sitting on the driver's lap for two hours, I made it here. The farm was less than one year into their project. Now, two and a half years later, the environment of the farm is just as incredible. That first time in 2015, I met a community of volunteers from all over the world who enjoyed rich discussions on environmental sustainability, long-term travel experiences, and philosophies of living over delicious organic and local meals. We played games, shared skills, and had tons of laughs. I lived in a shared bungalow, waking up with the sun, and enjoyed working with my hands in the soil planting seeds making garden beds, and building infrastructure from the mud and the straw of the land. We'd take these afternoon breaks of three to four hours when we'd get out of the sun. I loved hammocking and reading books, journaling and napping during this time. It was a constant adventure swimming in the pond with the two children after work, playing soccer, and even eating the first bug of my life. In those first 10 days, I had found my version of utopia. I finished my year teaching English in Thailand and decided to come back. I wanted to see the progress they'd made and wanted to meet with Olivia and Darren again. They are amazing people. It's really impressive how many languages they speak. French, Khmer, English, and Thai. And they have two kids who can do the same. Their background is really rich with their shared mindsets on living and their experiences that have brought them from managing a hotel in a tropical island in Thailand to this organic farming project in Cambodia. They also both have very interesting and unique personal backgrounds, which we cover in the interview. Arriving back now for my third time, they spent the first evening reminding me of my 24th birthday we shared on the farm, 
when they lit candles in a heap of steaming compost and nearly convinced me it was chocolate cake. I love their sense of humor. They call me John here. That's my first name if you didn't know by now. I don't go by it anywhere domestically, but sometimes I choose to be called John when I'm abroad. I hope you get a taste of what it's like to hang out with these people of purpose. And I hope it plants the seeds for you to volunteer on a farm and one day visit this project in Cambodia. I love it. I hope you enjoyed this peaceful and light interview with this remarkable couple, Olivier and Darin. So we're sitting here today at Organic KH Farm here in uh, Swaichek, Cambodia. And I'm here for my third time volunteering at the farm. Um, almost three weeks total now. And I'm sitting down with the wonderful couple that has started the farm. So yeah, can you guys introduce yourself and explain what is this project you've started here at Organic KH? So welcome, John. <laughs> oh, thank you. Welcome again. After three times coming here. Glad to be back. Still happy to greet you. Still so happy yeah. to see you guys. Welcome to Organic KH uh, in Czech, Cambodia. Uh, we started the project now three and a half years ago. Um, trying to find solutions to help local farmers. Uh, using permaculture, using other methods. Helping out the community, trying to be helpful. Having been inspired by other great projects in the past, I'll tell you more later about them. And uh, and uh, using our hospitality background also to greet people, to be able to host many volunteers, to host tourists also in the bungalow that we have, uh, to host diverse visitors. I guess our background is pretty useful for that too. Well, uh, now we're farming, farming, hosting a lot of people, volunteers helping us all year long. Um, managing to, we start to sell some of our products now in Siem Reap in the tourism market mostly. Going towards growing more and more vegetables also to be self-reliant ourselves. Uh, that's the basics. And why did you set up this farm in Spycheck, Cambodia? Darren can say more about yeah. this maybe. Because We're in her village. <laughs> this is my village, so that we happy to come back home and to start the project because it's close to the my families, all my sister, all my brother, not my sister. I don't have sister. <laughs> <laughs> so all of my brother and my uh, families was here. So it's, it's, I'm happy to coming back. And to try to help them. And I try to help them, but it's not really easy to. You know, to start at the beginning, that to show them that it can work. So for them, they can believe it, but it's thing like too long to believe that what we're doing is cannot make anybody rich for the farmer. That you have a maybe simple life. I don't think it's easy life, but it's just simple, and you can raise when you want also. Yeah, yeah. One big difference for me coming back one and a half years later is now your brother is here and he's a manager here yeah um, so that's to me a sign that your project is growing good job thank you <laughs> um so yeah let's let's keep going with you darin um what were you doing before this farming project um, before this farming project that take me back to the time maybe when you were a little girl growing up in cambodia okay. how you how from you my came childhood here. <laughs> yeah briefly yeah 
you know, from my childhood, and I born in 1980, so just after civil war, and still like difficult way of life. People try to survive, just enough food to eat and to live, and clean food, clean water, but still it really, really hard in that time. Yeah. That the country just waking yeah. up from the war. So each time the farmer try to do some planting or grow rice or any food, but especially with the rice, because that uh, Kmeru that try to burn all of your rice. And that time, like when I was about eight year, six year, eight years ago, eight years old. So it's, I can have, I see it one time with my families that my f all of my par grandparent was cutting rice then my fa include my father families also we was together so he tried to cut his rice and the meru start to come let's say with his gun wow. just said you're not going to cut more if you continue we'll burn it all he just stopped us so my father too scared so okay you take what you want we don't need we don't need that problem you know yeah. So he's not allowed us to cut the rice, so he just keep burning the rice, and and we go back home. with we have some left until that I nine year, about nine ten years old, that I moved to Sisapon because we tried to move like all of the villages. Is nobody like girls village, nobody left. Maybe less, but not many. Ghost villages. Yeah, ghost villages, YJ. So everybody move out, try to survive. And Sisapon at that time is yeah. a big town or a small city? Or what? For us, it's like big town because we never get out from YJ. We right. always live in the jungle. We always live with the nature, with the forest. So it's big chain. Like we never see car, we never see <laughs> motorbike. Wow. Even, even uh, Sisapon city. You know, it's not like developed, but enough for a lot of people that we try to escape from war, little war in that time, Vietnamese war, see. And yeah, I will live until that, I don't know, like when I was 13, 13, 14, and after I go to Thailand, and that time, I don't know what to do. Everywhere was... Uh, a lot of uh, refugees, yeah. all of the temple, all of the school, is no p no teacher, and people have no how to stay. So when we go into uh, refugees in Sisapon, we have to stay in a temple for a year. And wow. after we move from the temple to the school, because the school they have like different classroom. So each family, they just change and they put camp. They also have some UN, you know, yeah. Red Cross or UN, they come in to help, keep some water. I think a lot in that time, I I don't know how many. And UN coming to Sisapon, like maybe about two years. And the training, I don't know, like training, like shooting, I don't know how you say, with the gun. Okay. And they have the camp, and that time is more quiet. Less, less, uh, Khmeru, less fighting together with Vietnamese and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I went to my first class, 
when I was seven year. Now when I was the ten year, ten eleven year, that my first class of school at the first time. Then after I cannot go anymore. Then I decide okay, it's you know nobody can teach, and at my age, it's not many people know how to read and write. So I decide to move to Thailand. And what opportunities were in Thailand? I work in a farmer, and also construction. Anything that people can give me some little money or food, mm-hmm. so to make exchange. And that time I live in Thailand for ten years. And after I meet my godparent, I don't know how you call foster foster, foster parent, but the first is not really uh, good. And the second one is a bit better. Take care well, and that 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 time that I speak English, and after I come to Cambodia, I come back to visit my families. Then I try to, I learn from that time to travel around. What is Cambodian look like? I didn't speak Khmer well, but wow. I understand really really well. I didn't practice my Khmer during ten years. So that time that I'm in Swajek village again, after I go to Simriap, stay Simriap for one or two days, and Phnom Penh, Phnom Penh one or two days, and I go to Sienukville. So. And that time I meet Olivia. Oh, wow. And then it's like, love. Yeah, like love, <laughs> his broken rib. <laughs> <laughs> I had a broken rib the day we met. <laughs> uh, for the story. So you met him when you were back in Cambodia yeah, again. Yeah, in the south. And how old were you? I was twenty years old. Yeah. And what what was he like at the time? When I think we met, you were twenty-two. Twenty-two or years old, and Olivia was twenty-five. And he had a broken rib. Yeah, he had a broken rib. <laughs> no, and she took care of me. Yeah. So I fell in love. Of course. <laughs> uh, long story short. <laughs> <laughs> and then together, is you stayed together after that, starting yeah. your projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we'll get into those projects later. But let's head over to Olivia. That's an amazing story you have. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so Olivia, can you rewind from the broken rib time to <laughs> to a bit before? Yeah, maybe um, back in your life in France. Uh wasn't as uh, troubled and dangerous as Darin have lived her childhood. I uh, had a pretty easy childhood with uh, three other brothers and sisters in France, in the center of France, in the Loire Valley. Uh, we started traveling also a little bit with my family. We lived in the U.S. for two years when I was a kid, so that helped to give the taste for traveling, I guess. Um, and then not knowing really what to do, I ended up a bit by chance in hospitality. Started as bartender mm, in England first, moved to England to find some work. Uh, worked in a hotel there for a couple of years. Came back to France, still worked as bartender in hotels or restaurants, uh, luxury places, which was good to give me a a uh, good salary, a good uh, yeah, good income, but not very interesting life. Yeah, not a very how do you say? 
mm, not a very balanced life, not uh, not mind opening, not learning nothing, not very mm-hmm. interesting, just comfortable and easy. Uh, and uh, and after traveling a first time in uh, in Southeast Asia, I decided I wanted to give it a try, uh, get closer to nature, uh, try to figure out uh, how to better human relations, relations with other people to make my life more interesting also and I saw that in Asia it seemed more easy than in Europe Uh, people more open because of the weather people live outside a lot more so of course you communicate a lot more with each other on a daily basis Uh, so all this was very tempting so after a first trip I decided to to resign back in France sell everything and and come back here started traveling. Can you briefly mention that first trip? I know last night we were talking about it. That first trip in Southeast Asia was, yeah, very nice. I first came here with the, um, the main intention was visiting my sister who was living in Singapore, my older sister. <coughs> and uh, she had just given birth. So with my mom, we decided to come and visit her. Uh, I got frustrated very quickly after two, three days, maybe in Singapore. Uh, too many skyscrapers, I guess. Uh, too clean. I was expecting something else from Asia, being the first trip in the, around here. Uh, and I think my sister got it, so she sent me on a small island in Malaysia uh, called Tioman. Uh, very wild, very undeveloped, a little bit of tourism, but really not much. Um, amazing jungle uh, full of fish and the sea and so yeah I really fell in love with this uh, with the um, with the nature and with the way of life because the local people were living half naked on the beach and growing food and fishing and doing a little bit of tourism and seemed very very happy so Going back to France, yeah, was not not fun at all. I just stayed a few days on that island, maybe five, six days, uh, but it did change my life for the better. Go on an island, people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I got, I definitely understand a lot of those feelings. Mm. So then you went back for a brief period of time, and you're just like, I, I need to go back. Yes, yes, it made no sense. Um, what already made little sense to me, my lifestyle back in France. Uh, this trip in Asia uh, gave me some good reasons to go look for something else uh, to get closer to this lush nature I think this was really important for me and yeah like I said to try to rediscover what human relations really are or should be or because they seem too fake and uninteresting back home yeah Uh, something more real try to figure out and I guess it was just as a 23, 24 year old, uh, you just want to discover more things. You suddenly realize that the horizon is like so wide and you're stuck in your, in your little lifestyle uh, with very little knowledge of what's around. So this trip really opened my mind and say, yes, I'm done for, I'm made to live somewhere else maybe. Let's try that out, yeah. That was the same age I tried that too. And mm-hmm. it was, you guys were some of the first people I saw when I came to Asia. <laughs> Moving to Thailand at 23. And yeah. yeah, one doesn't have to abandon everything back home. It's a, 
but it's very fulfilling to go discover other cultures. Uh, it gives you, it gives you better reasons to love your own country even more for the good reasons. Yeah. Uh, be critical also, seeing what can be done, what is being done outside, how other countries work, how we depend on each other. Uh, yeah, I've always been tempted to go in less developed countries also because of the. Uh, dominant position of my home country uh, I guess that's been one of the reasons uh, also that I needed to go and live with people who have it less easy than me uh, this seemed more interesting than just to live the way it's supposed to be in Europe just go to work earn money buy a flat get married get children it was too uh, all straight forward nothing to think just buy 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 and no that wasn't enough for me mm -hmm. it's not enough for a lot of people not only for me so you traveled for how long before you started to decide where you wanted to settle um just over a couple of months really i had planned to go through uh, quite a few countries in southeast asia but after malaysia and thailand uh, Crossing into Cambodia was a was a shock. Was a real was one more step into into discoveries. Basically, uh, Malaysia and Thailand were more easy to travel through. Uh, that was back in 2002. Uh, these countries already had uh, tourism developed, at least here or there in some places. Cambodia was just uh, coming out of civil war. Uh, so the infrastructure and uh, uh, and the number of foreigners here were much much lower. Uh, this made the interaction with the local people much more interesting. Also, them not being used at all to interact with uh, foreigners, yeah. not knowing what we're looking for when we come to visit their country. Well, so yeah, a very contrasted country. So Cambodia stopped me right through my travels. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where you had your broken rib? Yeah. That, that's, yep, somewhere around that time. I was still traveling around Cambodia. Uh, How'd you break your rib? Uh, I met a guy in Sienukville, uh rented a bike, went for a bike trip, both of us. <coughs> we had a stupid motorbike accident, both of us together. Very stupid. <laughs> It uh, didn't fall hard, but unluckily there was probably a rock on the road or something, so I just broke a little piece of rib. Mm. Still had a good day trip. <laughs> Still went out to waterfalls and stuff, and coming back I definitely had to go check the doctors, and yeah. X-ray confirmed that a little bit of rib was broken. Uh, and then, Funny enough, that's when I came back from the hospital with my x-ray that uh, I met Darren in front of the guest house where we were both staying, but we hadn't met yet. You were both staying at the guest house? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I came back a little bit sad because when you have the proof in your hands that your rib is broken, that's when you start crying a bit. <laughs> Before that, you're like, oh, it's going to be okay. But then I'm like, oh, I got a broken rib. My holidays are done. And uh, I met Darren, which uh, within 10 minutes or so managed to give put a smile back on my face. So, uh, 
You wanted to know the whole story, yeah? <laughs> now you got That's it. <laughs> and we met and then we traveled a bit together. Yeah. We... I had some stuff back in Singapore, so it was a good opportunity to go get my stuff to settle back in Cambodia. Uh, opportunity to travel together, to get to know each other better. And uh, back in Cambodia, Sianukville was um, a good spot to be, a good place to be at that time. Just just starting to develop, lots of opportunities. Not the ugly atmosphere that there is now. It's overdevelopment and prostitution and so on. It was very, very nice at that time, Nos nothing of that. And, um, and we found a beautiful guest house to take over. And we we stayed there for five years. During five years, we managed that guest house, some nice bungalows on the hillside, view on the ocean and the sunset. Couldn't yeah. couldn't ask for any better. So why did you decide, Darin, to to go into business with him? <laughs> I think in that time we spoke a lot together. Like he asked me what I'm doing, and I asked him what he doing. So I have a little bit of. Uh, learning when I was in Thailand because I was working in a uh, kitchen for my parent, host parent, foster parent. So that time they have a guest house so I always take care of the guests and take care of the kitchen and learn how to cook at the same time. So I have a little bit of that knowledge. So that's why we speak about. So I don't want to do something just for myself. It's something that I can share and can do and I can learn something different. Mm -hmm. So I think that the idea we're going well together. Yeah, we think with our so skills we can, with the skill we can, we can do we something. Can survive. Open a small business. Take this wave of tourism just coming into Sienukville. Seaside was nice. And mm -hmm. And yeah, I think we had strong enough experience to, to start our own business. Yeah. And how did that lead you back to Thailand? Uh, years later, yeah. you mean? Mm, five years in Sianukville and then a few years uh, here and there, mostly in Siem Reap. Still, <coughs> still in the hotel industry. Uh, starting to lose faith a little bit in this uh, in this passion of hosting of catering for people wondering if we still wanted to do it and at that time we had uh, just by chance some friend I knew heard about a um, management position hotel manager position in Thailand mm, I wasn't sure I wanted to move out of Cambodia but went there to check it out and it was another of these small islands where you never want to leave. <laughs> <laughs> With the same as Tioman in Malaysia, uh, this one is called Koyao Noi, uh, between Phuket and Krabi. And unlike these two big names, Koyao Noi is very undeveloped and there's a few fishermen village. Uh, lots of very nice local people. Uh, few enough tourists tourist to to enjoy the place uh, as a resident not as, an, not as another tourist also right. and uh, the environment was just amazing also lush forests all around amazing scenery from the beach 
plenty of fish in the sea. So a lot of work. We managed this hotel down there, Darren in the kitchen and me as general manager for over three years. Um, we loved it. We really, really loved the place. But it was the signal we were waiting for to stop doing just hospitality also. However, this position and the place we were living were uh, magic and it's like a dream job. Uh, I'm sure a manager of hotel on the island somewhere on, on a tropical island is one of the top jobs in the world. That's what I thought. Yeah. And I still thought the same while doing it. But at the same time, it's hospitality. So you do so many hours, you give uh, so much of yourself to others without taking care of yourself, without taking care of your family. Uh, you feel you give a lot more to other people, which yeah. is fine. It makes this is the part that makes you happy. But when you consider the the little time that you spend with your own, um, then you want to balance that again. So we were ready to to jump into new adventures from that point when we realized that this dream job wasn't so dreamy anymore. And you realize these things together. Yeah, I yeah. think we speak a lot at that time. Mm. We live, Darren and me, we don't speak extensively. We live our lives, we experience it. And then when we feel time to to move on, to share something that's happening in our life that's important uh, on a daily basis, you see how we do. We act, we work, we do things. Um, we try to take more time to speak together. Um, but yeah, for the transition into farming, uh, this project uh, was germinating, is that correct? Sure, yeah, if you want to use a farming term. <laughs> since, um, since our years in the guest house we were running in Sienukville, uh, meeting a lot, a lot of young people. These, was, these were backpackers coming through our guest house. Uh, realizing that a lot of uh, problems uh, worldwide, a lot of issues, a lot of um, questions or frustrations that we may have all over the world uh, uh, are the same, are very similar. And at that time I started to realize that a lot of it concentrates around food production. Uh, food production is uh, is a big problem right now in the way we see it. It provokes uh, most pollution uh, and deforestation, lots of social problems, mm, health issues in the population because what we eat is not clean anymore. Uh, it pollutes our river and our air also and so yeah, it gets me really angry when I think that uh, uh, a lot of the hungry people in the world today are farmers. So I got more and more interested into these issues and trying to to see, starting to dream where I could fit. Because I think since a young age I was really, really spontaneously attracted by nature always. So at some point in my life there was going to be a moment where I choose to work with nature. Mm. Um, I wanted to be a vet when I was a kid, that didn't work out. Um, but yeah, at some point there would be a back to nature transition. Um, 
at that time when we were working in later when we were working in Thailand in that hotel I discovered permaculture um, and this was big news for me because all these um, everything that would worry worry me um, all the questions I would ask myself a lot of the answers were in these permaculture books I was reading uh, in terms of energy housing uh, food production of course mm, waste how we take uh, care of our waste our water um, so these books had a lot of the answers that I was looking for and then we started that gave us more ideas of what we could do how we could mix our own skills um, with what we feel would be useful for other people would it be consumers would it be for farmers we didn't have much ideas I guess at that time but the global idea of the project was starting to come out yeah uh, with the discovery of permaculture and when we decided to stop we gave our resignation letters at least over a year in advance because we knew we wanted to stop working in that hotel and start our own project uh, that gave us a lot of freedom in our minds also to start planning our project what is our project what do we w exactly want to do what are we lacking in terms of experience so from then we went to do some training in near Chiang Mai in northern Thailand uh, in two amazing places uh, yeah we did two trainings in okay. two places one is called uh, Panya Project. Uh, Panya Project is a permaculture training center. Uh, they've got an on-site farm and natural adobe housing. Uh, great people working there. We had great teachers who we spent two weeks doing during <coughs> sorry doing a permaculture design course. Uh, which of course was very very useful even though I had read it all on books uh, I think it's important to have some hands-on training uh, preferably with a teacher who's gonna know really loads about it and will be able to ask your own questions so the this training was really important and the second farm next to it is called Pan Pan and Pan Pan is for me, one of the leader of the organic movement and sustainability movement in Thailand. Uh, the people running the place over there are simply very inspiring. Uh, they're the kindest people, the most uh, yeah peaceful. peaceful people. Yeah, without overdoing it, without I don't know. Sometimes you feel. You meet people, they look too happy, it feels like they're hiding something or there's something wrong and these people, no, they just feel that every day in their life they're doing the right things and that makes them just plainly happy. Even though they must have problems, they must have issues to deal with, is <clears throat> we could clearly see that uh, they had reached this point in their life where they couldn't do anything better to be happy. Um, so we wanted to copy that recipe <laughs> we wanted to copy that recipe we had our own ideas for our project we had the the, the methods and so on from permaculture we had the inspira inspiration from 
great people from Pijo and Panpan. So we were ready to go. So we started, we decided to start our project back in June 2014. Yeah. And so this entire time you had children also, right? While you're moving yeah. around. Darian, can you talk about the experience of raising children in a hotel and then deciding it's time to raise children on a farm? How was that experience? Um, yeah, when we was in Thailand, we have a great time with the the kid, especially Olivier don't have time. Then for me after work, I always take care of the kid and go around an island, bicycling and sporting. Even I'm very tired, but I try to make effort for the kid that let's go on, you know, only mom go bicycle with up to the hill, go down the hill was, it's fun to stay there. And I think after we left, the kid was a little bit sad. Yeah, they had a very yeah. privileged environment in Koyao, for sure. Yeah, they were thinking like, oh, I will not see the hornbill anymore, and kiss, and kingfisher, and water lizard. So all that what he used to see every day and used to play around. Mostly that we have the kid, we always stay close to, try to close to nature, I think. Yeah, since they're bored, they've had they've, they've had it easy. They've had a privileged environment, <laughs> even though sometimes we at times we work too much. Uh, they always have people taking care of them and uh, large area in which they can play to. Yeah, a beach on one side, swimming pool not too far usually. Uh, so they had it more easy than here even here. The swimming pool, we still have it, but the water is a little <laughs> bit less clear. <laughs> we we call it the pond. <laughs> I love swimming in it. But that's our new swimming pool, and the kids got used to it also. Mm. Yeah. 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 And so, what were those early days starting the farm like? I think I came when it was less than one year old. Back in October 2015 was my first time here. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, what were those early days like for you? Was yeah. it a lot of struggle? Was it really hard? Did it become... It was mm. tough physically. It's tough, but I think it's fun. Because a lot of new that new things that what we learn, what we put our feet and our hand in. All the, all the contraction building, with natural building, making brick, make, making garden bed. I think all that is new yeah. for us. So I think we really a lot of energy and tension. And the kid was helping us also for building, make garden bed, make compost. Was I think when we start is really, really cool. Yeah. I don't know where its energies come from in that moment, but really know. keep working like start really early and work until like five six o'clock. We know we have a lot of jobs on our hands at that moment, so yeah. You go through it, you do what has to be done every day, even if you need to handle one ton of water for watering every evening or whatever. Uh, I remember it yeah, being hard physically, yeah. but very enjoyable for the rest of it. You're yes. becoming, not if you, we were not starting to become autonomous, yeah. but you're working towards it and that's already very rewarding. Because uh, you know it's will work. You're not relying on your boss's salary anymore. Um, 
or renting a room from someone. No, mm -hmm. you're trying to find your own ways to, to make money with what you can do yourself if you need money. You learn how to make your own houses yourself and we needed more than one, creating a small village to try to host many people and, and teach many people here. And the idea was not to make a profit right away, it was to self-sufficiency, self yes. self-reliability. Yep. Self-reliance. Self mm -hmm. um, yes, the first ideas were around that. Uh, how do we become self-reliant? Mm -hmm. So you got everything that's in the books and then you got to make it yourself. So it's a different story. And because we started hosting uh, volunteers, uh, after maybe maybe six months after the beginning of the project mm, uh, making our own food uh, seemed like a goal that would take a lot more time to learn how to grow those vegetables properly to learn to find the right food production systems for ourselves whereas the ideas pretty quickly when we started our project shifted towards the community so then what we were growing on the farm, it made more sense to try to find some, some products, some high value products, for example, that would bring quickly to the farmers rather than ourselves, rather than ourselves uh, looking for self-reliance, we could bring income to other farmers. Mm, so definitely towards non-profit, uh, self-reliance, we were like, okay, we'll do it later. Uh, for now, we found something. We found some products, some flowers we can dry, sell as teas. Uh, there's a big market for it. So maybe we'll try next year to be a bit more self-sufficient in terms of food production. But this year, we'll still concentrate on the community itself and grow as many things as possible, which has got different goals, actually. Uh, Part of it is to become a model farm. So the more we grow here, the more there's to copy also for the for the local farmers. Right. Uh, they want to go into this type or this type of production. They can see how it works here. Mm. How about and your infrastructure? How did you mm -hmm. how did you go about thinking about all the infrastructure here, and how did you make it? I know people can't really see right now. Can you describe kind of well, it's how the buildings are made? Only earthen buildings. Uh, as far as the eye can see, <laughs> there's small houses made out of uh, mud mixed with straw or rice husk and bamboo and some some ways of building. The the roofs are made of uh, rice, uh, not rice straw, sorry, of thatch, which comes from uh, just a wild herbacea that is dried. And so this for us was important to show people that we can live in what they would call mud houses and we can I can call them mud houses too but they're very comfortable uh, you see the one you're staying in John is really beautiful we made this one for tourists so we can put a lot of detail into it the the earthen walls give a great uh, a great feeling it's not concrete it's not this it's not that there's no unnatural paints and it feels really nice um, it's all open to the outside yeah and this infrastructure yeah we built we're still building we're not done yet we've got lots of small buildings all around uh, our own house the maintenance shed 
uh, tourist bungalow, some huts also and dorm for the volunteers coming here. I think the buildings are, are one of the biggest symbols of your growth to me. I've come three times and spaced one year apart and one and a half years apart. And this time especially, you just an explosion of buildings. Like mm -hmm. the giant tourist bungalow never existed before. This tool shed never existed. The one I stay in was in its very beginning. Yeah, well the last... Impressive. We all, we, I think we work more or less all year long on the buildings. Uh, like I said, we still need a few. I just want to build another couple of uh, bungalows for tourists and then we're done. And we realized also that we needed to accelerate on that part. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why we didn't go that far in agriculture also. We went through a lot of hurdles, but there's still a lot to come. Uh, because we needed to concentrate on this infrastructure, we quickly needed to, okay, let's finish off everything we need. Uh, yeah. and now we feel a bit more free. Sure, another couple of bungalows to do, but we already have everything that's needed to have this kind of learning center. So how about your progress? Would you say you've been successful so far, three and a half years in? My progress? Yeah. How I can expand. Yeah. I didn't feel much from that. You happy from where we are now? Or what we've yeah, done? but I mean, from what we starting from the beginning until now, I feel like I less tired and less tired, and I feel really, uh, really happy that I don't think before like should I can do it, you know. Sometimes when we make everything, and we didn't. We didn't take time to look and to see yet, you know. So. To see to realize that we can yeah. do it actually. Mm -hmm. Like uh, when we went to France, when we come back home, we feel so happy. <laughs> come back to the garden every night time. We non-stop look around. We just live for two weeks, and we come back. So I feel like, oh really, our place is uh, changing so much. Mm -hmm. This is growing. <coughs> that is growing, and some places need. Time. Yeah. Yeah. She means is that often we don't have the time to to realize to look, to look back to realize to back. where we're at. So we can have a general feeling or happy or unhappy, but this feeling um, often we don't have time to know if we're happy or not happy about. We're still still in the rush. Yeah. Still in the rush. Still still a lot of efforts yeah. to do this year before we can sit back a little bit. Mm -hmm. We try, we try to do it occasionally, it's important, but it's not easy. When no. you're not done, when you're still yeah. struggling in one way or another, you don't allow yourself to sit back so much. Darwin hasn't had much time for that. So do you think that this persistence and endless energy is one of the qualities that makes this so successful? What would you say are, are the qualities that you share that have made this project go so successfully? Yeah, for sure. Mm. Uh, our patience, yeah. the, the our capacity to understand that we're not superheroes neither. We do our best. We have a crazy project. Uh, it takes a long time. We would want it to, to be successful faster. Uh, so yeah, for now we can measure our su success by the fact that after three and a half years, even with the hurdles, we're still reaching out even further. 
uh, towards the, lo the local community and our actions start to show. Uh, people start to know who we are and what we do now. Yeah, can you go into that? What is the Cambodian farming background and what are you trying to to do to, to change that or to grow that? Well, there's different approaches, you know, there's lots of NGOs in Cambodia and uh, a lot of them are also helping in the agriculture sex sector. Um, some of them may have um, similar approaches in terms of methods, what, what or how should we grow our food now, how should we change our food production systems. Um, so we're not opposed to each other. Um, but I didn't want to create for ourselves, I didn't want to create another NGO, I wanted to find other ways, other ways to develop projects uh, which can be beneficial to the people doing that project uh, like we were sp speaking before trying to achieve uh, self-sufficiency mm -hmm. uh, in all ways trying to find that happy feeling all the time doing good around you yeah. mm, very importantly finding uh, economical way uh, that works not get the people into something and try something and oh sorry it didn't work or try something and oh sorry we still didn't raise you out of poverty so we're not aiming big like some NGOs with big budgets might have we just want to work on the local level one farmer at the time show them how it works give them the taste for their their job give them the taste to take care of their land also yeah. take care of their lives also. to take care of their own life to take care of other people's health by not uh, using all the chemicals they use now mm. so the work is very long it can't just be like a it can't just be a project from some people from people from the outside maybe that's the main difference uh, mm. with international NGOs for example is here we live the same way farmers do we have the same problems as them. We have land ourselves, so we have the same land, we have the same soil to deal with. We have the same weather to deal with. Uh, I can help them here in the region. I can't go down in the south of Cambodia and give them advice on how to grow things. I'd need to live there also. Yeah. I'd need to know exactly how the water is falling every year, every month, uh, how their soil is. You can give them some basics, but and also the long-term support is very important. Right. Long-term support comes from the community, it doesn't come from outside the community. <coughs> it has to come from within. Right. So rather than creating NGOs, people in the community who who have a bit more passion and yeah, can what kind of stand up and try to help are out. You feeling? What kind of impact are you having locally? Uh, for the moment it's mostly a lot of curiosity. We've done We've done a little outreach here and there to start help us with some uh, with cultivating some plants varieties already. Uh, we're reaching out to local children to come study English here or play football or whatever. Very cool. Uh, we want to include the younger ones here uh, to our project. Mm, we want to know how who they are, also. <laughs> yeah. Before, if we decide to teach them about permaculture or 
tomorrow we need to start knowing them today yeah. what do they want a lot of them will want to go to school so we might also teach them about hospitality and catering later if um, if we get a bit more time for us in the near future we'll probably spend it on the children also of the community rather than go to the city without any skills we can we can all also happen in that direction also That's very cool. we won't be able to stop them from uh, leaving the countryside if they don't want to live here was that one of the original purposes of starting your farm was this local engagement component yes at the beginning to be fully honest it was mostly towards uh, Darren's family uh, we had the, we needed to find a way to help them long term and I think our project the goals of our project were more were way wider than than their needs in terms of help so on one side didn't fully uh, how do you say um, they didn't fully understand the whole project and all the goals of the project uh, from the from the very beginning I would say and uh, and on the other side the goals of our project fit the needs of a community as a whole not necessarily about one family uh, so if Darren's family or any other family doesn't like our approach or need more time to see what we're doing before agreeing or trying some of our techniques or um, that's what I meant also about NGOs NGOs come and say oh you should do like that and then they leave yeah. and maybe at the beginning maybe I had a bit that approach also saying oh we should do like that but then they didn't see the end result they didn't know where we were going at all right. they couldn't imagine it as clearly as I had it in my mind yeah. Uh, it's a dream concept. It's a project that I could not show them before we started. Yeah. <clears throat> and one thing I love about this place is the sense of purpose that you have. You really are doing something for a reason, for a mission. Yeah. It's not just about making some money for yourself. Yeah. It's not about adopting someone else's method that had worked here or didn't work. It's your own style. And it, you've created like a, a community here. And part of the reason I keep coming back is I think that the community of volunteers is so wonderful every time. It's so fun. You learn new skills and you share sure. mm -hmm. some really good conversation together on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah, it's a one family. You see when you come back, it's different people. But What have you done to shape a culture like that where even though the volunteers change weekly we or monthly, you, you we don't it's do nothing. Wonderful. We don't do nothing. We create the we create the spot where people can meet, where people can have these conversations. We all have that in ourselves. The the only thing we do is yeah to to create a place where uh, people with some questions for the future want to meet and speak about it or want to learn some skills for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So, so it's the same atmosphere as last year. It's the same as was atmosphere as two years ago. Mm -hmm. um, it's an open space. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Everybody can be itself. Yeah. Everybody can help according to its own capacities. We we take away all the competition uh, that we have in our society in general and we just try to help each other.
and yeah. we learn we learn how to communicate together we learn how to work learn together, how to live together how to live together there's a sense of work ethic here that is always here no matter who the volunteers are like even though you guys aren't looking over people's shoulders they're still working really hard and we go until the bell rings or it's time to mm -hmm. to take the first break how, how is that how is that happening there i don't know maybe a little input from us darren is working a lot at the moment with uh, her brother uh so when the volunteers see that there's a, a person or two that leads the group with a lot of energy uh, especially when they see darren who's one meter fifty um, <laughs> being able to an american that's less than five feet tall <laughs> it's small it's small your american friends one meter fifty is really small uh, but still she handles the the hoe better than any big guy that we've had so far uh, it's normal using it stronger and longer than anyone so then everybody wants to try to do the same as darin so oh, can i do it as good as darin or as wani which has got great great uh, farming skills also yeah, it's cool. plus we're feeding everybody uh, very well so I guess they want to give the best of themselves also that's one of the reasons <laughs> I keep coming back uh, <laughs> back when you were the chef it was yeah that was always make I was looking forward to that all the time the food was so thank so you good. for coming back and bring <laughs> Nognai to know us yeah <laughs> she's also loves the food here <laughs> Uh, so yeah, where do you hope the farm to go in the next two, three, five years? What are some of the visions you have for what this center will look like? Mm, this year we're concentrating mostly on the on the farmers cooperative, <coughs> where the products we found that can sell that can be sold easily on the tourism market. We help create a demand that's bigger than what we can grow ourselves which is great because it pushes us towards our neighbors which in return can help us to provide for uh, these high value products so that can bring diversity in in my neighbors fields uh, on the fields but diversity of their income also better their income with um, with less pressure on themselves it's less pressure on the environment also so this really seems to be a great win-win situation we're in right now um, the tourists want local organic products so mm -hmm. there's a lot of people jumping in this opportunity and we w yeah definitely want to be part of that uh, for that you have to grow in certain quantities also so our farm being a demonstration farm, we don't have all the space that we would want. But that's fine if we start working with our neighbors. So this year, that's our focus. It's figuring out how do we produce together? How do we supply in a constant, reliant way uh, tourist markets and as many diverse products as possible? That's going to be our focus. Is and this place open for anyone to visit? Yep. Yeah. All day, all year. Sometimes. But not at night. <laughs> Only daytime. <laughs> Only daytime. <laughs> not drunken people. No drunk people. No. Um, yeah, of course. We take some holidays when we can, when it slows down. But other than that, 
Mm. You can contact us anytime if you want to. And if anyone reach us. that's listening wants to to stay and volunteer at the farm, what are some details they maybe need to know about that? Uh, there's lots of information. Uh, we've made a clear note on our Facebook page, for example, about volunteering here. So you got all the conditions, a few pictures of our dorm, uh, how to come here. We ask a small financial participation still. Um, we're not we're not self-reliant in terms of uh, money-wise, in terms of income right now. So we still need our volunteers to come and help us. Uh, we ask actually five dollars per day. That helps to cover the cost for food and accommodation, and uh, and then helping us three, four hours, five hours per day uh, in return for. All our knowledge, all our passion about what we're doing. Mm -hmm. That's that's the deal that we propose here. So you can find all this information and much more on the living conditions and so on uh, on our Facebook page. And what's the Facebook page called? Organic Farm. Organic K H O R G A N I K H. No C. K H instead of organic. That's for Khmer. Yeah. Yep, KH stands for Khmer. Khmer is the culture of Cambodia, I guess you would say. Mm -hmm. So if you look Organic KH Farm on Facebook, you'll find us. Our website coming out soon, but no address to to share right now, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to ask about who are your influences nowadays, or role models you have, or um, mm. some advice that, that has really stuck with you recently. Oh, that's that's interesting question because uh, you'd ask me that uh, in previous years uh, I have lots of models of course I have lots of people who have influenced me in the past nowadays I live with all that if there's one person that influences me today like a new I don't know I don't know We've taken all the influence we we could uh, from leading figures, from civil rights movement to to uh, John Jandai in Thailand, from and now and now we work head down, I would say. What's a book yeah. that someone could pick up if they want to learn about permaculture? Mm, good question. Not only permaculture, but more the relation that we have towards food production and nature in general. Because um, there's lots of books on permaculture. Uh, some designer manual can be nice, but it wouldn't give you necessarily the whole philosophy behind our project. Uh, I would prefer to advise for, what's the name? One Straw Revolution. Uh, from uh, Japanese writer Masanobu Fukuoka. Uh, let me rephrase, he's not a writer, he's a farmer. <laughs> he did write a couple of books on his farming methods, which is called Natural Farming. And I'll get and the spelling and put that in the show notes for people to, to yeah. be able to find oh, it. Easy, Masanobu Fukuoka. <laughs> yeah, super easy. <laughs> <laughs> One Straw Revolution. Your memory uh, is so good about that. <coughs> period. Well, because period. because this was a very so inspiring things. person for me. So it's not just one book that I read like that. It's the, it's the, it's a way of thinking. Uh, he taught me to, 
or he confirmed to me what I thought was true is that nature is so much greater than us we think is our human minds are amazing and we can reinvent everything that nature has done but no no nature teaches us still like every every day mm. so I like this type of agriculture which put nature's power and capacity in front of man's capacity to grow better i don't think we can grow better than nature we can try to copy its style <coughs> not the same i don't think we can do better than nature mm. the systems have takes have taken millions of years to evolve and with 50 years of modern agriculture we think mm. we can do better yeah <coughs> <Nature> <laughs> And what, what advice would you give for people who are trying to create a project like yours? Mm, go see other projects. That's the most important. Take more experience. All the training you can, <laughs> you can all do online. Uh, but the feeling um, about this or this type of project, you can, you, can you can only be sure to want to do it if you go see the same type of project as yours. You can be crazy and totally reinvent something, but for us, it was magic to go to Chiang Mai, uh, see people do exactly what we were dreaming about, and it's here, it's already being done. People are also have the face, people also have the skills, the power, and, and they're happy doing it. So that's what really put us on the right track. Okay. And then, yeah, and then you can do whatever training is missing to get mm -hmm. started, but... But for us, we didn't do enough we didn't do any, we didn't have uh, experience for doing for other farm. Mm. We just have training three weeks only. Yeah, yeah, yeah we and didn't have extensive races. farming training. Just yeah. the three weeks staying in two, three amazing places was, was enough for us. Yeah, and you grew up doing farming, right? Yeah, I do grow up in the farming, but this after it's a long time ago. Right, right. <laughs> Cool. Are you guys happy right now? Yeah. yeah. Doing really good. Happy. Doing good. Rainy season coming. Mm. Can't wait for we that. We less uh, watering can by hand. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for welcoming me back and welcoming all the other 20 volunteers we have. And thank you for coming also. Yeah, thank you for coming back. Yeah. See you next year. All right. <laughs> <laughs>
It's oftentimes the most inspiring part of my week, but we need more. Let me know what's resonating and what could use some improvement. If you have new ideas or a question you'd like to ask me, please don't hesitate. This is one instance in which you can exercise your personal power to shape the show. Consider yourself our freelance consultant. And don't forget, if you want to sign up for the POP newsletter or become a volunteer, please reach out. Email us at peopleofpurposepodcast at gmail.com or leave a direct message through our Facebook or Instagram pages. Thank you for your support and listenership, and here's to becoming 